We're talking today on FoxCast with Catherine Wadwani in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Laura Dedish-Burton in Greensboro, North Carolina, about the topic of J-1 physician waivers. Catherine and Laura recently presented a webinar on J-1 waivers. Catherine co-chairs the firm's immigration group and for more than 20 years has focused exclusively on immigration law, representing clients in nearly all types of business immigration matters. Laura is board certified by the North Carolina State Bar as a specialist in immigration law. Her practice centers on immigration and international law with an emphasis on obtaining visas for foreign healthcare professionals. Catherine, Laura, good morning. Good morning. Glad to be here. Catherine, let's start with you. Uh, with a focus on employers, uh, why are J-1 waivers important in the healthcare field? Well, in short, providing J-1 physician waiver sponsorship is a really great way for U.S. employers to find uh, the necessary physicians that they need for their patients. This is particularly so for employers who are in health professional shortage areas and underserved, medically underserved areas such as rural areas mm -hmm. where it's typically very difficult to recruit and retain U.S. physicians. Laura, what do we mean when we refer to, as, uh, refer to J-1 physicians? Well, there are several ways for an international medical graduate, or IMG, to come to the U.S. for graduate medical training. When an IMG is admitted to the U.S. in J-1 alien physician exchange visitor status, then that IMG becomes subject to the two-year home presence rule. This basically just means that the physician must return home for two years before being able to return to the U.S. in H-1B status or to obtain U.S. permanent residence, also called a green card. Laura, how does that benefit U.S. employers? Well, fortunately, Congress recognized that in many areas of the country there is a tremendous shortage of physicians in various areas of practice. So Congress provided the possibility for J-1 physicians to remain in the U.S. to work. In other words, the physician can either return to their last residence abroad for two years and then return to the U.S., or if they're able to obtain a waiver, they can simply remain in the U.S. to work after they finish their graduate training. Hmm. And Catherine, what is meant by J-1 waiver? Well, so there are lots of types of waivers, J-1 waivers. The most common one, though, is probably the Conrad State 30 J-1 waiver program. The Conrad program exists under federal law, but it's administered by the state health departments. And each state under this program may approve up to 30 waivers every federal government fiscal year. Um, and the federal government fiscal year, of course, begins on October 1st of every year mm -hmm. and ends on September 30th. So that makes this J-1 waiver season. Catherine, what's involved in obtaining a Conrad J-1 waiver? Typically, three agencies are involved in the review and processing of a J-1 waiver application. And that is the case with the Conrad waiver, too. Uh, the Conrad applications are filed with the state health departments, but they're also reviewed by the U.S. State Department Waiver Review Division and the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service. Catherine, you mentioned that the state health departments are involved. Uh, do, does each state uh, thus follow the same set of rules? Well, there are some common elements in Conrad applications because each application has to meet federal requirements. But in fact, each state can create its own rules with regard to timing and its uh, substantive requirements. So for example, one state might accept applications on a continuous basis until all 30 um, applications are, are used, uh, while another might establish a deadline for waiver filings or establish phases to prioritize the review and approval of the applications. Hmm. 
And also, uh, the content of the Conrad waiver applications varies from state to state. And of course, the processing times vary um, among the various different health departments and agencies. Mara, what are some common elements in Conrad J1 waiver applications? Sure, as Catherine noted, that there are state-specific differences in the waiver programs. Some of the common elements include uh, such things as the physicians agreeing to work full-time for three years in that qualifying location, agreeing to begin work within 90 days of USCIS approval of the waiver application, and agreeing to work in a designated underserved area or provide care to patients who reside in such an underserved area. Bar, so a Conrad waiver physician doesn't necessarily have to work in a shortage area? Uh, most are employed in the shortage areas, but each state may approve up to 10 of the Conrad waivers for physicians who provide services to underserved patients, but the medical facility itself might not be within a designated shortage area. Hmm. But again, most Conrad physicians must work in an area that the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services has designated as either a health professional shortage area, or HIPSA, or a medically underserved area, or an area that has an underserved uh, population. Sure. And Laura, are waivers available for both primary care and specialist type physicians? Generally, yes. Usually the Conrad waivers go to primary care physicians and the rules vary from state to state uh, on what type of physician are, is given preference in the program. Um, but both primary care and specialty physicians can obtain waivers. Uh, Catherine, you mentioned that there are other types of J-1 physician waivers. Uh, what are some of those? Well, yes. In addition to Conrad waivers, there are interested government agency waivers, or also known as IGA waivers. There are hardship waivers. There are persecution waivers. So if a state does use all 30 of its Conrad waiver numbers, there are still other possible options for waivers. Catherine, tell us about interested government agency waivers. Okay, there are many agencies that can sponsor J-1 physician waivers, and some have formal programs, others do not. Uh, perhaps the most popular IGA waiver programs include the Appalachian Regional Commission's program, or ARC, that is, and they have uh, that covers all HIPSAs within Appalachia. There's also the Delta Regional Commission and the Health and Human Services programs. Hmm. And Catherine, are, uh, what about hardship waivers or persecution waivers? Well, these are types of waivers that a physician could pursue on his or her own, and that would be, for example, a hardship waiver would be if there is hardship to a U.S. citizen or permanent resident spouse or child of the physician, of the J-1 physician, um, and if, the, if that spouse or child would suffer hardship if the physician went home for two years without them, or if they went as a family to the person's home country. There are also persecution waivers, and that would be if the physician fears that he, would, he or she would be persecuted in their home country on the result because of race, religion, or political opinion. Laura, uh, if a government-sponsored J-1 waiver alone doesn't provide a physician with work authorization or as a means of staying in the U.S., what does? Yes, uh, it's sort of a two-part or two-pronged program. Once they have the waiver, um, either a Conrad waiver or an IGA waiver, the waiver commitment must be completed in H-1B specialty occupation temporary work status. The H-1B visa itself is required to be able to fulfill the three-year commitment in the shortage area. Or what about the H-1B cap? 
Well, the H-1B cap is something important to keep in mind because there are a limited number of H-1B visas each year. However, if a physician obtains a Conrad or an ARC J-1 waiver, um, that physician is then exempt from the annual cap and remains so even after the three-year commitment period. A J-1 physician who receives a hardship or a persecution waiver, on the other hand, is subject to the cap. And if a physician is cap subject, it can be difficult for a non-exempt employer to obtain a cap number. So that's something to really keep in mind as an employer when you are looking at international medical graduates. Or what are some of the conditions considered for eligibility for an H-1B? Certainly. The H-1B is a specialty occupation visa. Physician does qualify as a specialty occupation. The things that are uh, important to look at are a specific employer-employee relationship and a, a petition filed by the employer. Um, and in those cases, a physician may not moonlight or work for another uh, provider without a separate H-1B visa and can only engage in the specific activities that are set out in that initial petition. If an employer wants to place um, a physician at a third-party site, uh, that has to be disclosed in the petition, and then if the physician is going to work for another employer, it would require a separate uh, petition, so that gets <clears throat> fairly complicated. Um, there are visas available for academic positions, if they're going to be teaching or researching, medical training, um, and what we're mostly talking about, which is the post-training clinical positions. And the physician needs to have a medical degree, pass the USMLE exams, have an ECFMG certificate, be proficient in English, and also almost always have uh, currently a medical license in the state where they'll be practicing. Hmm. Catherine, what are an employer's obligations? Well, there are a number of um, requirements for an H-1B worker-employer, and those requirements stem, the attestations stem from the labor condition application that's part of the H-1B petition package, and those include things like that the employer agrees to pay the hire of the prevailing or actual wage that they pay to other workers in the same group, that they'll offer the same working conditions, that there's no strike or lockout, and things like that. Um, the employer also has to maintain a public access file and keep that on, uh, retain that for the required number of years. And uh, the employer also has to watch and make sure that they're at all times for that three-year waiver period complying with the J-1 waiver requirements, which can also include reporting requirements to the health department. Are, are there alternative visas that may come into play in the physician context? Yes, and we most frequently see that if um, an employer or a physician is not able to get one of the 30 waivers or other IGA waivers during the fiscal year. In such a case, we might look at something like the O-1 Extraordinary Ability Alien Visa, which while it doesn't waive um, the home residency requirement, it could defer it. Uh, so that's something that could allow a physician to com continue to work in the U.S. even if the waiver isn't immediately available. Now, the physician must demonstrate sustained national or international acclaim, but they don't really have to be extremely experienced. More what is looked at are things such as um, you know, numerous uh, significant publications, cutting-edge research, work at a top academic medical center, or other distinguished accomplishments that could bring the physician um, towards the top of their profession. Catherine, what's the pathway for an alien physician to actually obtain permanent U.S. residence, uh, 
we often refer to those as green cards. Yes, and there are a number of different pathways for a physician to become a U.S. permanent resident. Um, there, first of all, let me give an overview. There are employment-based options. There's family-based options, which would usually be a spouse sponsoring the uh, physician, a U.S. citizen or green card holder spouse giving sponsorship. There's also political asylum for a physician who is afraid to turn home, return home from their, to their home country. Um, but with most commonly, we see the employment based green card options, and that would include, I think most often we see PERM labor certification, which is sponsored by the employer and does require a test of the job market by the employer. We also see a lot of EB2 uh, physician national interest I-140 waivers, which that one requires the physician to work in the shortage area for not three years for the waiver commitment, but for a total of five years on a full-time basis. And there are some other things too, like an EB1 Alien of Extraordinary Ability petition, which can be self-petitioned. Also, the national interest uh, waiver option can be self-petitioned by the physician too. Uh, but the extraordinary ability, that's really for people at the top of their field. Um, there's a parallel position to what Laura described in the O1 called an alien, or Outstanding Professor Researcher option. Mm -hmm. But again, that's not so much for clinical. But there are a number of options. And most often, of course, the physicians do want to become U.S. permanent residents um, and stay here in the U.S. to work. Hmm. Well, unfortunately, we are about out of time for today. Catherine and Laura, thank you for your time and for sharing your knowledge about this very complex topic. Listeners, we're so glad you've been with us today. To confidentially discuss your organization's opportunities or concerns, please contact Catherine Wadwani in Pittsburgh at 412-394-5540 or at cwadwani, that's C-W-A-D-H-W-A-N-I at foxrothschild.com or contact Laura Dennis burton in Greensboro at 336-378-5566 or at L. Burton, that's L-B-U-R-T-O-N, at foxrothschild.com. Fox Rothschild LLP is a national law firm with 950 attorneys in 27 offices coast to coast. Visit us on the web at www.foxrothschild.com. 